Hey, it's Jeff Farla. Welcome to Show Up Fully. This is a podcast where I share what it's like to show up for your real life. If you don't know me, I'm a food stylist, photographer, and health coach. You can find me, it's Carla Contreras on Instagram, and more information in today's show notes. I am so excited for today's guest. Her name is Melissa Casera. We met on IG ages ago, and I feel like you were holding this sign that says, will you workshop with me? And I ended up working with you, Melissa, and took your PR course, and it literally changed my life. I can't wait. We can touch on that, but I can't wait for you to tell us who you are and how you serve the world because you are such an incredible human. Thank you. What an intro. (laughs) You're making my whole day. You're welcome. So a little bit about me. I'm Melissa Casera. I'm a professional screenwriter and a publicity strategist. And I love helping people to create obsessed fan bases for their work. And I do a lot of that by merging together what I know as a screenwriter with what I know as a 15 plus year, like edging on 20 (laughs) marketing and publicity strategist and just helping entrepreneurs feel and show up like a totally binge worthy, exciting Netflix drama. I love that. And I love that your, your title is obsessed. It just really, it resonates and it makes me excited. Like every time I see your newsletter, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is she up to now? Like it's, it's just, it's incredible to watch your journey unfold over these last few years. Thank you. It's been a journey. (laughs) A hundred percent. I want to ask you about your last meal. Okay. So this is funny because normally I do always have breakfast, but this morning got slightly out of control. So I will skip what happened this morning because at this point it's just four espressos, which by the way, coffee doesn't keep me awake. Like I think I destroyed my body when I was younger by drinking like pots of coffee. So now in my forties, I'm like, I can just drink it and it does nothing except for taste really delicious. So my last meal was dinner last night and I made a delicious homemade pizza with uh, white pizza with sauteed spinach on top. And it was incredible. <laughs> it was so good. That sounds delicious. That yeah. sounds delicious. So I good. I love it. Melissa, I would love to ask you about showing up. This podcast is going called Show Up Fully and it's called Show Up Fully for a reason. Because I feel like we're told in business, we're told in spirituality, wellness, like all these different places to show up. And specifically for your business, PR, like we need to show up in front of audiences, in front of people, in front of friends, in front of TV, in front of like all these different spaces. But no one actually tells us how to show up and like what it means to show up, except in your like, I'll put side note except in your PR course where I really learned (laughs) what Mm -hmm. it meant to show up in publications and pitch myself and all that. So like side note, but like, I would love to know how you define showing up and how you show up in your life, in your business, your relationships, all the things. Yeah. So, I mean, I probably have a bit of a layered answer here. So first and foremost, I think showing up is so individualistic. 
I'm not a fan of having like one templated way that we all need to show up in the world and what we need to do and act and be and et cetera, et cetera, because we're all like individuals, right? And unique humans. So I always like to lead with obsession, (laughs) really, which may sound a little wild, but I think that you need to get in touch with, and it's also for everyone listening, you probably already know, but you may just not be pulling it to the forefront as much as you'd like. But you need to get in touch with what you are obsessed with and about, right? Like what lights you up? I call it heats you up. What has gives you that like fire in your belly? What can you not stop talking about to the point where your spouse, your friends, your family, like your colleagues are like, oh my gosh, Carla, shut up, right? It's like you just keep going on and on and on and on about it. So that is a good indicator that whatever that thing is, you are obsessed with. And so that is what you want to lead and bring forth. That's what you want to pour into your life, into your work, et cetera, right? So that it feels really pleasurable and it also feels really natural to show up. So you're not like trying to siphon yourself into something, a message, a cause, whatever it is, right? A business, a relationship, whatever that like personally doesn't feel aligned for you. So that's kind of the first step is figuring out what that is. And I know that's not exactly easy, but it is inside of you and it's allowing it to bubble to the surface. And then the second piece of that is putting yourself out there without expectation of what that's going to look like and what that's going to bring back. Now, I understand as business owners or career-oriented professionals, we would like to put our message out and would like it to get lots, lots of comments, likes, shares, signups, sales, et cetera, right? That's the goal. Of course it is. But you don't want to hinge so much on like each thing you say or each thing you put out there, each opportunity you go after, because then it's going to just end in disappointment if like one thing doesn't work out, right? So you never want to pin an expectation to that. So I always say the best thing is to just keep showing up, keep sending out your ships, right? And as you're you're sending out your ships, like a few of them are going to come back, right? And you just got to keep doing and sending and sending and sending. And there should be joy in the sending. There should be joy in the showing up. Again, if you're doing it from a place of obsession, this should feel very natural and authentic so that when things do naturally come back because you're putting the work in, It's not going to feel like such a slog, like, oh, finally, I finally got a sale. I finally got an opportunity, right? It's like, no, I feel really excited that I get to wake up every day and talk about this and share this and reach out to the media or reach out to people and ask them, you know, make the ask. All of that feels joyous. So that once something does click and come back, right? It's like that's the cherry on the Sunday, right? And you actually find joy in the process. And then I would say the third part of that, my layered answer is really revising your relationship to rejection and failure. This is not a quote I came up with, but it's like you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And so you have to accept that failure and rejection is a part of all of this, of anything, of business, of career, of relationships, of whatever in your life. And when we start looking at it as like, hey, I need to fail this many times because there's so many beautiful lessons in failing, but also I need to fail in order to succeed. It's the only way to know what's not working. It's the only way to learn those things. Then it becomes much easier to show up 
versus I think that there is like a blanketed fear for a lot of people who haven't practiced that rejection muscle. Like if you were, for example, I grew up in entertainment. So I was an actor when I was young and my whole life was rejection. It was just like a bunch of people telling me no for various reasons. So by the time I became an adult, I was naturally good at sales and marketing and things because I'm like, well, whatever, another no, you're just moving on. It's a formula, it's equation, right? It's all part of the process. It's no big deal. And you learn from those no's. But unfortunately, most of us don't have that type of education as we're growing up. So we kind of need to learn it as adults. And there needs to be grace for that, of course, because it's, it's new to us. But just accepting that it is a natural part of the process, that we're failing upward, (laughs) that it's all a beautiful part of the journey will really, really help you to show up and not have that fear behind like, well, what if they say no? What if they cancel me? What if this happens? Right. And it's all of these kind of unfounded fears. But when we accept it, then it becomes, like I said, a beautiful part of the process. I love that. I've never heard of it like a muscle and... I feel like this is such an important lesson. I kind of want to highlight it. <laughs> Failure, like, and we've, we've like chatted back and forth in email. Like I have sent out a million pitches. I have pitched to be on TV shows actually. And I have not talked about this publicly, but I will talk about it publicly with you right now. I had two TV shows that Literally, I had signed like contract and things were going and all these things were moving forward. And then they said, I'm sorry, we're going in a different direction. I was devastated. And then I was like, okay, what's the lesson here? What's the lesson? What's the opportunities here? And I feel like when I put myself in that space of like, what's the lesson? What's the opportunity? What can I do next? It shifts things. And I wonder, because you write for TV, like, how does that, can I ask how that works? Like, are you pitching those or are they suggesting? (laughs) Oh, gosh, no. (laughs) I don't know how it works. So I would love to know a little bit. Could you just tell people what you do in terms of writing for TV and like, what is that process like? And what is the rejection process like? Because I would love to know, like, what does it look like? when you are pitching and what does success look like? Yeah, well, (laughs) there's a lot of rejection in screenwriting and at all different layers, right? So like you could be contracted, you could get all the way through, you could be paid out on various things and your work can never end up on screen, right? So there's kind of like various layers of rejection. So my niche in screenwriting is I write TV movies. I have a deal with Lifetime, which does mostly thrillers, which is my genre. So I can speak to the way that works and it's different for different genres and different opportunities, but I'll, I'll just tell you my personal experience. So with them, the way that it works is I will come up with like about maybe 20 to 25 pitches. These are not easy to come up with. It's not like you give them one line and say, here's my idea. They're fully formed. You have to essentially, the way they work is you have to give like what the entire movie would look like. That doesn't mean writing out the entire movie, but it means hitting the various beats so they can understand what the beginning, middle, and end look like. It looks like, is there, you know, does the story track? Are there red herrings? We write thrillers. So you have to like misdirect the audience, right? So they think the enemy is one thing and not the other, one person and not the other. 
So I will come up with like a batch of those. The first round goes past a number of executive producers and they will usually slash it down to about three. And then we work for a couple of months developing those three with like, basically it's like poking holes in every sentence, right? Like this, that, does this make sense? Does this track? Then once we've polished those together, we take them, we personally have two different One is a network, which is Lifetime, and the other one is a distributor, which is foreign, which can go to multiple networks all over the world. So we have to get feedback from both of those. And sometimes that feedback is just a straight no, pass. That's normal. Or if you're lucky, you will get a yes from both. Or there's definitely the stage where one might say yes and one might say no. And then then it becomes a bit of a court battle. (laughs) No court involved, but, you know, then it becomes a negotiation. So that's essentially the process. And then again, as you're working through the process from outline all the way to like finished film, there are multiple rejections along the way. There is rejections of characters, of different plot lines, of the way you want to end the script, the way you want to begin the script. Sometimes they want to shut down your whole project in in the middle of it. And you do, you try whatever you can do to make that not happen. I've been fortunate that that hasn't happened on any of my films, though it did happen on a TV show that I sold many years ago, which is quite normal for us. But that's essentially the way that it works. And then for newer screenwriters who don't have a deal somewhere, um, or even ones that are seasoned who don't kind of have a regular ongoing thing with a network, which is also very common, you are in, you're constantly interviewing for a job. That's how it feels like. So you are constantly coming up with new ideas, pitching them around to multiple producers, networks, studios, depending on the nature of the project. And again, most of what you pitch out gets rejected. Some things get optioned and you get paid out something, but then it can get shut down again, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many different ways it can go. So there's a lot of rejection, more so than in most careers. So what they say for writers is you have to have super thick skin (laughs) because we're constantly being rejected or critiqued. (laughs) I love that. And I love that you did a deep dive into your world because I feel like When we see, you know, movies or we see series, like we have no idea what's behind it. And it's kind of like, you know, I food style professionally and recipe tests. It's like no one sees the the behind the scenes of it. But I loved that glimpse into your world. I know that you do a lot of different things. Like you have the online courses, you have your writing, and you also talk about pleasure. I would love to know because when I see this, especially when I see this in your newsletter, it just like lights me up and makes me smile. And you talk about coffee. And I would love to know a little bit more about your journal too. So pleasure is like a core principle of my business. I just feel like if we are not having fun in our business, what's the freaking point? And all this is like, what are we doing? Especially as entrepreneurs, we can choose what we want to do. So like, To be siphoning yourself into some kind of business that you hate just doesn't make a lot of sense, right? But the other flip of that coin is that 
if you are not having fun, if you are not experiencing pleasure, if you don't love the way that your business is structured or what you do, people on the other end will feel that. Your clients will feel that. Even your newsletter subscribers will feel that. There's like an energy that pours through your business. And so think about that. If you are like, I'm miserable, I hate what my business is, people pick up on that. And like, who wants to come to that party? Nobody. <laughs> it's like no one. arriving at a sad dinner party where the host like hates all the guests and like is like angrily making the food in the kitchen. I mean, I feel like we've all been to kind of like parties or experiences like that. And you just like walk around awkwardly. You're like, oh my gosh, should we leave? That's the exact feeling that people get in your business. So I'm a huge proponent of not only trying to infuse more of what you are obsessed with into your work so that it does feel more pleasurable. And there's not this hard line between what you do and what you love. I think that those should be merged. But on the other side, it's like making sure that you are building enough pleasure and fun into your day. Now, this can be a tricky concept because, and I'm speaking about this from experience. I used to be a person who derived a lot of value and worth from my work. I had to go to a lot of therapy in order to unravel that. But I remember leaving corporate when I was in my mid-20s. And I had like a real cushy corporate job. And I was always considered like the go-to in the department. Like you're the best, that type of thing. And I, I would get a lot of praise from my the higher ups. And so when I left, I remember feeling this deep sadness of like, who's going to praise me? Like, what's going on? I have to praise myself? What is this? And I really, that first year that I was an entrepreneur, I honestly hated it. I wanted to go back to work. I really was like, wanted to claw my way back into and almost like was sabotaging things because I'm like, it's so much better when you have a boss that can tell you you're doing a good job. and then. I had to really unravel that and and sit with that and ask myself why I was taking so much worth from like other people's validation. Like, why can't I validate myself? That's really unhealthy to seek that outside of myself. And so again, like I said, I had to go through a lot of therapy to work through that. But I noticed that there's a lot of folks who, like myself, who were conflating like pleasure for validation. So it's like, you may be working, throwing yourself into work 12 to 15 hours a day, staring at that laptop, not even moving, not even realizing that you're not moving, but you derive so much validation from those likes, from those signups, from those, right? And it's like, it's like every little ping is a bing, 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 bing. And it's like a dopamine release. But unfortunately, that's not particularly healthy, right? Because then when things aren't going well in business, which business is, I, I've been at this over 15 years now, business is a roller coaster. You're not always going to be on a high. There's going to be dips and slumps no matter how good you are. And so you have to be prepared for that. And if you're deriving all of your pleasure from your work and business, then there's going to be those downtimes and it's going to feel crushing. So it's really important to find pleasure outside of your work if you're not doing that already. And for some of the listeners, you may be doing that and you're doing great. And for some others, you might be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yikes. You know, I definitely need to find some pleasure outside of what I do. So for me, you know, that means making a pleasure list. It's like, what do I like outside of 
work. And now a days I know what that is. Back when I didn't, that was hard. I'm like, I don't know what I like. Like, I don't know. And I'm like, but it's more fun to like sit and work. I don't, you know, I, I want to help people. What, what do you mean? I have to garden. <laughs> because I have, to, like, I have to go to a hike. Right. And it's like, and now it's my life feels like it has flipped where it's a lot more pleasure than work because I don't derive my worth from my work anymore. So in the beginning, if this is new to anybody listening, I would just kind of sit down and say, what do I find fun? What do I find pleasurable that isn't in relation to my work that has nothing to do with my work? Right. What is that? And if you don't know what that is, it's okay. Just treat it like kind of a fun experiment say, well, here's a list of 10 things that maybe I would like, or maybe when I was a kid, I really liked, right? When I didn't have these work responsibilities, when I didn't have a business and then dabble in those, right? So maybe you're like, I really used to like to paint when I was a kid. Great. Go grab a canvas, go grab a brush and some paint and slabber that paint on. And maybe you're like, wow, this felt so good. And maybe you're like, no, I don't really like this. Like, leave that in childhood. And that's fine, right? So you just have to be playful about it and try and test some different things. And then once you know what you like, then make sure that you schedule what I call pleasure breaks into your day every day. And these are like 15-minute, sometimes longer, it's up to you, whatever you have time for, little bursts of time where you shut off work completely. Please, no email, no ping dings, off, 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 all of it off. And go indulge in whatever your pleasure activity is. I don't care if that's laying on the floor and staring at the ceiling. And trust me, there was a time when that was my pleasure activity. <laughs> would literally go, Love my it. husband and I call it go to the floor. <laughs> and it's, it's okay if that's all you've got right now. That's totally fine. You will get other pleasure activities, but whatever that is for you, you go and do that and come back and don't skip those breaks. Keep them like important doctor's appointments. And if you need to set reminders on your phone, like if you need to set an alarm for those breaks at first, that's fine. Like all of these things are totally fine. It's whatever works for you. There is zero judgment. It's just about making sure that you are taking those breaks. And you mentioned my workbook earlier. So I have something called the Obsessed workbook and planner. And it's just a 30-day like digital PDF that essentially is showing you how to construct your months in this way, where you are like very intentionally putting together your work time and your pleasure time so that you are not skipping that pleasure time and you are deriving more excitement and pleasure from your work. I love this. I love this so much. And I'm going to try four times because I heard I have a Peloton and one of the instructors said, have you ever laid on a floor and listened to an entire album? And I was like, mm, no. And I feel like this is a sign from the universe, like lower time. Money. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. I mean, try it. Honestly, oh, Peloton's great for pleasure breaks because I have one too. And that's my main pleasure break every day because there's so many ways you can like just hop on for a quick ride or you can do a meditation. You can do a stretch. There's literally no excuse not to like pop on that Peloton. And, and so if anyone has one of those, that's an easy pleasure break. It's an easy one. And I do, I'll put a link in the show notes I have, and it's not an affiliate or anything like that. 
I have a free 60-day pass to the app where you can access like all the things. So if anybody wants that, and I will put a note about your workbook in there too. So if anybody wants to grab that, I'll make sure that I put that in the shows as well. I want to shift the conversation as what do you do when you don't want to show up? Maybe you don't have a, you know, thing, but some people, and I want to like preface this, some people have defined that there's a difference between not wanting to show up, like not feeling it, and then like actually physically can't. So I would love to know for you, what does not showing up look like? Well, I think it's important to note this is something that writers deal with all the time because I think there's a misconception that we are like inspired all the time. <laughs> I can't be more far from the truth <laughs> or that we want to write all the time. And that can't be further from the truth. So I think for me personally, it's like I don't need to be inspired to show up. I don't need to be motivated to show up because if I'm waiting to be inspired and motivated, nothing's getting done. All my deadlines are getting missed. I mean, there's no way. There are week-long spans where I'm like, I just want to, I live in a beautiful state. Like I can be outside anytime with like every activity possible. There are week-long times where I'm like, I just want to go paddleboarding. Like, I don't want to do this. This is is not what I'm in the mood for, right? So it's. I think it's just unrealistic to expect that we're always going to want to show up because we won't. That's just human. (laughs) That's just being a human. So I think that we all need to find like whatever survival mechanism works for us to just get us to show up. And that is so different for all people. And I just want to honor that because I had a conversation with a neurodivergent friend recently about this. And what works for me does not work for her because she's neurodivergent, right? And and has a very specific set of circumstances that she's working through that I don't have, right? So I can't say, do this, because that's not fair, right? Like what works for me as a neurotypical is not, it doesn't work for her. So I try to stay away a little bit from the like, do this, try, you know, you can try it, but like, I can't give you the answer, right? I think that it, it just depends on what works for you and your unique individuality. So I can just tell you what works for me, but know that it, that I'm not saying it will work for everybody listening. So for me, what tends to work is I need to just sit, like be in a, I tell myself, this is why I tell myself, it's like a mantra. I'm like, be an adult because I, I like tough love personally. Like on the Peloton, I do Alex. If anybody knows oh. Alex Toussaint, so you like know like, what my vibe is. Okay. I know. okay. That's my vibe. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's almost like I'm an Aries. So yeah. like, I feel like it's like this Aries, like must go Mars energy. Like, yes. <laughs> right. So like, again, Alex isn't for everybody, right? That's why there's all different yes. instructors. There's on all different instructors. So I need Alex energy. Like that is me. So I, so I literally like put my Alex cap on and I'm like, sit at that effing desk. <laughs> like put your fingers <laughs> on the keys because you can do it. Right. And it's just like, that works for me. It's just like yelling at myself that way. And almost like, laughing at myself, like just having fun with it and being like, oh my gosh, I'm an adult. Like sit down and do it. Like it's like, this is, this is your work. Sit down and do it. 
and like stop waiting around for some like fluffy motivation or inspiration to fall out of the sky. It's not going to happen. Sit there. And that works for me to do that. And I will sit there and I will hate it. And I will put my fingers on the keys and I will curse and I'll be mad. And then about 10 to 15 minutes goes by and then I'm in the flow. And that's just the way it is sometimes. And sometimes I can make it feel a little better by grabbing a coffee, by taking myself to a coffee shop I love, by sitting outside versus inside if it's a beautiful day here. Right? Like I can, I can change my environment to make things feel more pleasurable and that's fine. But ultimately, sometimes nothing in that environment is helping. I'm just being bratty and crossing my arms and saying, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to. I want to go to the floor. And so I just have to like lift myself up off that floor and sit in that damn chair, just like Alex says, right? And you just, and, and that's the, the case for Peloton too, right? Like I pretty much work out every day and people will say like, well, oh my God, how are you that motivated? I'm like, I'm not motivated. There are many days where I sit on that bike and I go, I hate this. I don't feel like doing it, but I'm just going to sit here and spin my legs in a circle and that's it. That's all I need to do. I can do that. I'm an adult, right? I'm a big girl. I can sit there and spin my legs for 20 minutes. It's fine. And so if that's all I do and I just spin them and I'm not really trying, that's perfectly fine. And sometimes that's how work looks. I sit there, I type like a bunch of junk that, and like none of it makes it in the final draft. And that's okay, right? Because I'm sitting down and I'm trying. But many times when I sit down and just try, I get in the flow and it's fine. So that's kind of that about showing up. It's like you got to do it and you got to find what works for you. And that's different for everybody. Some people really like having timers. They like doing the Pomodoro technique. Some people are like, I can't do that. Some people like to do, there's even these apps now where you can like find somebody else who's working online and you guys can go live on Zoom, like a stranger. And you could be like, okay, we're going to do this together. I hate working with other people. Like I like solo. I'm super introverted. So like if someone's in the room, I'm like, no, you got to go. I had to be here by myself. But for other people, they thrive in a group environment or like thrive having, my husband's one of those people. He likes having somebody there to bounce ideas off of to do that, right? And I'm like, go, <laughs> leave, leave me be. And so it's honoring what works for you. That's it. This is amazing. And I have to agree. And this is just my personal style that I will do. I'm like, all right, fine. I'm just going to, because my sister and I will like just blow her up on this a little bit. And I've talked about her before. She's like, oh, you have so many dots on your Peloton thing. And it's like, because you get a dot every time you, you use the app. Or, or use the bike or whatever. And I'm like, it is not pretty. I, I'm like, I commit. Sometimes I'm like, I'm going to do a 10 minute stretch. It's interesting. Once you do those 10 minutes, like I want to just highlight that little piece for people because sometimes when we do that, like 10, 15 minutes, like I'm like, oh, all right, I'm going to do a full on workout now. Like, because sometimes I get in the flow and motivated. So, it's interesting that you express this in parallel with work of like, how can we, when we don't necessarily feel like doing something, commit to sitting down and I write as well. I write recipes and I write articles and sometimes 
what I do is I'll like copy and paste an old recipe and like start filling so that the page isn't like, I wonder, I'm asking you because you're a writer. Do you ever do that? Like, do you ever like throw something in there because you're just like not looking at the blank page? I don't, but I can see that's kind of a fun. I mean, that seems like, again, it's like sometimes you just have to figure out what works. Yeah. What I like is I have this thing that I do for both business projects and screenwriting is I make a sizzle file, which is basically just like it's like your own personal business thesaurus or for um, scripts. It would be like each script has like a thesaurus for it. So it's like collecting words and phrases that feel fun and exciting that you may or may not be swapping out for other words and phrases that you put into like your vomit draft, right? Your first draft. So I tend to like when I'm really grumpy, I'll just work on my sizzle file because that always feels fun to me to find like exciting language or think of exciting language versus like sitting down and hammering out a scene or whatever it is. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. I feel like this episode has so many gems and I feel like people are going to take away so much from this. I would love to know how we can work with you, how we can find you, how we can support you. Yeah. Well, you can jump over. The best place to find me is my website, which is just my name, melissacassera.com. I know you'll have it in the show notes. And I have my cool 30-day Get Obsessed workbook and planner on there. And even cooler, it's a pay what you want. So you can pay $1, you can pay what $20, whatever you want. Or I do offer a free copy with no questions asked to anyone that emails. So all you'd have to say is, please send free copy. That's it. Or just send free copy. Because <laughs> you do not need to, to say why. So that is available on the website. And yeah, that's the best place to find me. And you'll find all the information about my films and all the cool stuff that's going on. Love it. Thank you so much, Melissa. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And everybody listening, I would love if you like this episode to share it with a friend, to text message, to email, to carry your pigeon, whatever you have to do. And also... If you're on iTunes, I would love if you could rate, review, subscribe. And on Spotify, believe it or not, there's a five-star option. I would love if you could click that. If you want to find me, I'm It's Carla Contreras on Instagram. That's where I appear the most. I'm sending you and yours love. Bye.